Well, thanks, uh, Jessica, and, and let me add a good morning. My name is Tim, and, uh, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And, uh, and it's good to have you with us, especially if, if this is your first time um, with us, and especially if you're a woman, too, want to jump into any of those women's uh, studies. I hope you'll be around next Sunday uh, where you can learn um, some more information. Um, well, this morning we're going to be uh, in Acts 20 for our sermon uh, this morning. So if you want to turn your Bible there, I'm going to read that in a second. Um, it's sort of a unique... It's a unique moment, and that's why I wanted to, to read it. And what, what Acts 20 is, the, our passage for this morning, is it is, uh, it is Paul's like farewell address to leaders from the church in the city of Ephesus. And it's sort of his last words to them. If you remember last week, we, were in, we like looked at how the church in Ephesus got started. Um, and, and a couple years has passed. Paul spent a couple years with these folks. They, uh, they faced persecution together. They faced riots together. Um, and Paul had left, had done some church planning, and now is, he's asked them to travel 30 miles uh, to, to have one last moment with him before he leaves. And so Acts 20, verses 17 to 38, that is Paul's final words uh, to the, these leaders. And so I'm going to read them for us, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to our, our sermon this morning. So hear now the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if I only may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with him. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Father, as we open 
Open your word. Lord, what, we're, what we want is you, and what we want to hear from is you. Um, and yet, Spirit, if you, don't, uh, if you don't come into our hearts and minister to them, if you don't fill the words that, that, that we speak or sing from uh, the stage or from the congregation, uh, Lord, uh, there's no change. There's no, there's no power. And so, Spirit, come. Move in our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The first time I heard that someone tell me that, it, uh, I think it was an adult, uh, and I was a child, and it was at Christmas, and they were trying to talk down my Christmas expectations, right? And, and it sounded to me more like a really slick marketing campaign to get you to buy something, or like this is something adults say to children all the time, but they don't really believe, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And actually, it was a long time before I realized that that's actually Jesus who said that. That Paul here, he quotes, he says, Jesus said this. Uh, we don't have that in the Gospels, which shows probably the early church had a collection of sayings of Jesus that went around. And apparently Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here in Acts 20, as Paul has like final words for this church he spent three years of his life with, it's one of maybe the most important churches in all the New Testament, as Paul as Paul wants to speak to them, the whole, the whole, everything he says, the whole letter, the whole farewell address, is about how it's better to give than to receive. And so the last line is sort of like the summary of the whole thing. This, this, is, a, this is a farewell address where Paul hopes this church he's now leaving will be founded and centered on the words of Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That what if we, as Christ's community, we believed that deep in our bones? What would our church be like? That I, uh, being real, I don't believe that. And I, if you, like, before you judge me, uh, do you believe that? Like, it, is your, like, does your life just kind of scream out, it is more blessed to give than to receive? Would someone like look at your life and be like, that, yeah, that person is all about generosity. Like there's no, like does, do you really, and not like, like would you, would you send a Christmas card with this saying on it? Um, but I mean like do you, is this like core to who you are? Is your fundamental assumption about life that it is better, that a blessed life is a life that is, is poured out and given, not one that receives? That I, I, I desperately want um, our church to be a community that if we're known for anything, it's, it's generosity. It's like our core assumption about life is that it is, I am more blessed when I'm giving myself away than when I'm receiving something. And in particular, because of the context, like because Paul is speaking to church leaders he spent three years of his life with, and we as a campus are about three years old, and there's some of you in this room who've been here three years, many of you who have not been here three years, this is like a good moment just to reflect on who are we, what do we want to be, what, what, like what's, what are our foundational um, assumptions, and for us, just to spend some time, those of you who are church leaders here, and, and when I say leaders, that, that's not a title, that just means do you come, do you help, do you serve, like if you do those things, like you're a leader, and, and, and to speak and to, to sort of dream together, what would, what would we look like if, if this was kind of our foundational assumption? It, it, we are more blessed when we're giving ourselves away than when we receive. And so, like, this message probably is a little bit bent towards people who are in with us at Christ Community. But if you're, like, if you're not sure that you want Christ Community to be your home, you're kind of figuring that out, 
or if you're not a Christian, I still think this is a really relevant message because I, I believe that, that the kind of, if Jesus really is God, if he is who he said he is, then the kind of community that Jesus would want to create would be something we would all want, we would all long for, we would all desire. And I think as Paul goes through and speaks to these church leaders what he wants their church community to look like, I think that's a community we all long for. A community full of people who, as they gather, their first assumption as they come together is it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to be that community. And so let's think about that together. And I want to, and I'm breaking the, maybe the pastor's code here, of four points. Uh, point one, uh, give, if, if we're going to be this sort of community, we have to be people who give sacrificially. As we look through Acts, I, church, Paul's strategy for, for church growth is church planting. And in Acts, what he does is he goes from city to city to city. And in the last three weeks we've looked, he went from Athens to Corinth to Ephesus. He goes from city to city to city. He plants a church there. And once the church is planted, he moves on to the next City. Sometimes staying longer, sometimes staying shorter. And that's one reason why that is central to our strategy uh, here in Christ Community, both around the world as well as within Kansas City. Um, so your generosity towards Christ Community, it's helping to start a church on the east side of Kansas City. Daryl was here uh, in February, New Community Church. We don't want to just be about uh, church planting in, in Johnson County. We also want to plant in places that may be more difficult. And so Daryl is a church plant that your generosity is helping um, to start. So your generosity helps our uh, global partner, the China Partnership, which is, is focused on uh, training church planters in the house uh, church movement in China. And, and so we're, we are, listen, Christ Community, we are about church planting. It's even why our multi-strike strategy is the way it is, is, is we are about church planting and we want to we see Paul's strategy and, and, and do the same strategy. The best way to advance the mission of God is, is, is new churches. And yet, like, that's really easy to like, yay, raw, that's exciting. But Paul is like, he's very honest about what this means for himself. Um, and he has like some fundamental assumptions about what his ministry life means. And he starts in verse 23 when he begins to like, okay, I'm, this is my life. This is my work. Here's, here's one of his assumptions. He says, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Well, how encouraging, right? Paul's calling is unique, obviously. Like, he's an apostle. I'm not saying we, we're all like Paul. And yet, um, I've never known a missionary. I've never known a church planter, a congregant leader, or a church that's on mission trying to advance the mission of, the, of God, the kingdom of God, in its city without significant opposition or significant suffering or significant pain. It's really hard to try and take what God wants to do in the world and to... To push it forward. And one example of this, I've been listening to the podcast Startup recently, and it's a podcast about the trials of entrepreneurship. It's typically uh, focused on business, uh, the business world, but they decided uh, this last season, season five, to look at church planting. And so it's uh, Gimlet is the company that's doing it. It's not, they're not a Christian company, so they're not like, uh, there's not Christians talking about church planting. These are non-Christians sort of looking at church planting, interested in like how church planting works. And and as I've, I've listened uh, to the, um, I mean, first of all, you should listen to it. Uh, it's, it's worth your time because you're doing it right now. Uh, but secondly, is in the second episode, they go into the enormous psychological stress that's related to, to starting a new church. And anyone who's been an entrepreneur, you know, like starting a new business is incredibly psychological stress. 
um, except for the fact that like, you have a you have a clear uh, you have a clear product that you can sell and customers. Whereas like for us, it's like we're trying to convince people to change their entire lives to Jesus. Like it's a little bit more challenging than you know buy this iPhone. Like I think I could talk people into buying an iPhone. Jesus is sometimes more difficult um, than that. And and so they go into this, and it's it's just it's fascinating. And one of the one of the, uh, the real, or parts of, of episode two is that they talk about how uh, in church planning now, and Missy and I did this, uh, there are church planning assessment centers where they basically send you, they try to uh, stress you out and make you lose your mind for four days, and then they assess you and whether or not you should be a church planner or not. And we did that. Missy and I, we did this uh, back before any of you knew Ashani Mission Campus was, was going to happen. And for four days, we were completely stressed out. Uh, we carried uh, our, four year, our four, five-month-old Micah at the time uh, around with us trying to see if this is for us or not. And in four days, I barely slept. Uh, I broke my iPad. Um, all, while, all while this group of people were just watching us nonstop, judging us, writing little notes about us. Um, it, was a, it was a terrible experience. Um, but it, that, what, that, what that is about is they recognize most church is so stressful and so difficult. <laughs> they want to, can you do it? And here's the thing, American culture is probably the easiest culture to do it in. When I speak in, and have talked with Chinese church planners, they're not just dealing with the stresses I deal with, which is, can, can we make this thing uh, work? Like, is it, is it viable? Um, they're also dealing with imprisonment and persecution. And are there Chinese officials in our church? Right? Are they, are, is everyone in the room here for Jesus? Or are some people here to report me? And what I want to say, my big point from this is if, if, you, if you care at all about advancing the mission of God in the world, you are going to, it's going to be hard. It's going to cost. And you have to be willing to give sacrificially. And especially to be a part of a church plan, which is explicitly trying to do something new in the city for, for the glory of God. You cannot be a part of what we are doing here without giving up something. Like, just to be in this room, you've already made a sacrifice. And so why do it? Right? Why does Paul say, I, listen, I'm going to go church plant in the next city, and the Holy Spirit has given me a word from the Lord, and it's not we're going to have 100 converts. It's I'm going to be imprisoned, and I'm going to be afflicted. So why do it? And Paul, he, sa- he's, he sort of says in verse 24, he says, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. My life's not about me, he says. If only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's burden in life, why he is willing to endure imprisonment and afflictions and hardship, is he wants to testify to the grace of the gospel of God. The why behind, like, why it is worth the pain and the, and the difficulties is we want to testify to the gospel. And this world is incredibly resistant to good news, isn't it? Our world has an immunity to grace. A resistance to mercy. And this world is, is filled with messages that, that are an encouragement to give up. You'll never change. Or the flip of that, which is you better change and it's all on you. And there's, right, you better pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And there's, there, you know, if you fail, then there's no one going to be there to, to, like, our world is, is resistant to the gospel. 
And into that world of, of, of lies, like we try to birth a church into it. Push good news into a world of bad news. Push kindness into a world of harshness. Push grace into a world of judgment. And that is really hard. The, one of the reasons why uh, a couple weeks ago I was gone, and we started, it was a week where we just left uh, everything to do for Andrew, and I felt really bad about that. Because like, literally all of us just left. Like, Andrew, you figure it out. See you next week. Um, and he did great, uh, but, uh, um, but one of the reasons why it was really important for me to go to my family reunion a couple weeks ago is, is uh, I have a cousin, and I have a strange family. Uh, I have an uncle that's 50, and I have an uncle that's 80. So when I say cousin, like, that could be anywhere from, like, high school to, like, you know, 70. I guess it's, it's, it's a crazy uh, distance. And so I have a cousin. He's in his 50s. And uh, about a couple months ago, he found out he had two brain aneurysms. Um, and because he has two brain aneurysms, they can't treat either one, because if they try to treat either one, uh, he's significantly at risk uh, for the other one uh, that they're not treating on to, to have complications or problems. So basically what they've told him is, we're just going to keep an eye on you. And if nothing happens, you're fine. And if something happens, we're going to have to perform surgery really, really quickly. And so he's sort of like, like we all are, we just don't know it. But he like has this, this reality, like I could die at any moment. And so I wanted to go and, and talk to him. And, and, uh, and so we, I went and we, you know, we started to, to go down that path a little bit and and what I found, and two things I found in, in just having that conversation with him. One is that our, our world is just incredibly resistant to the hope of the resurrection. We have enormous faith in doctors and, you know, like exploratory surgeries or like medical care. But like hope of resurrection is, that's just a, bur- that's just a hurdle to get over for people. And second is the only way anyone will ever hear about the hope of the resurrection is if you and I, Christians, who believe in that hope, are willing to sacrifice. Willing to have like a potentially really awkward conversation, you know, around your family. And I needed plenty of courage to, to even enter into that conversation, and I probably needed more courage than I, than I had in that conversation. And the reality is, you and, we live in a world where we need to get the gospel out. There are people around who are very, have very little hope, very little um, sense of direction, and have no idea the world that's available to them through Jesus Christ. And we, the only way this world will ever, ever hear a gospel, like in a convincing way, is Christians who are willing to say, church is not about me. I go to give. It's better to, it's, I'm more blessed when I'm giving myself away than when I, I receive. And you cannot be a part of a church that's trying to advance the mission of God without, without coming in and assuming sacrifice. Assuming I, there's something I have to give. I have to give something away here. So give sacrificially, that's one. Um, two, we have to give what is true. These final words that Paul speaks to these um, these leaders of the church are mostly encouraging, but he has a strong warning for them. And it starts in verse 28. He says this. He says, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Verse 29. This is where the warning starts to come in. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves... From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. Paul says the church 
needs to be concerned about people who will come up from within the church and start speaking twisted things. And that's important because oftentimes I think as Christians we're like, we look at the outside world and we're really afraid. But Paul spends more time in his farewell address about there will be people from within your congregation who, who are going to come up and they're going to start speaking things that are false. Things that are not true. Now, there's a lot of things probably as I read Paul's farewell address earlier that we really liked. He talked about pastors shouldn't uh, be obsessed with money. And we're like, amen, that's right. And he stresses that we should testify to the gospel. And we're all like, amen, that's right. And then he he says, uh, you have to strongly resist and reject anybody who says anything false. And we're like, Paul, lighten up a bit. Because if there's anything like as a pastor that like gets me in hot water is when I start suggesting maybe like some, some Christian celebrity author, podcaster, whatever, maybe isn't speaking the truth anymore. And we live in this like weird American Christian culture uh, where we have like, in addition to me, there's Christian authors and podcasters and speakers. Um, in addition to Andrew, we have these like, you know, countless Christian celebrities who, uh, who with their celebrity have no accountability for what they say. And there are a lot of Christians that say a lot of things. And they often accumulate this weird following where people stop discerning, is what they're saying true, and, and more is what they're saying interesting. And anytime I've sort of, and I'm gently going there now, um, so I know, like I know there's like, what? Um, everybody, you're paying attention right now. Uh, when I've done that as a pastor, often what I have people say is, you know, like, Tim, don't be so judgmental. Like, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. And that, listen, that's great advice from Thumper. Um, an animated rabbit. Uh, Jesus did not say that. And neither did Paul. Paul said, there are going to be people who, who want you to reject the truth. And as, as the person who planted your church, there is a core gospel. And you can, if you leave it, you lose everything. So why? Why does Paul care so deeply about the truth? about these Christian leaders in particular guiding a, tr- a church and keeping the church with the truth. And why as a pastor, like my st- when I get up here and preach, I'm not interested in being ultimately helpful. I think if I speak what's true, it is helpful, but like I'm, not my, like I'm not the best parent, so I can't give the best parenting advice. There are better parents in here than me. I'm not like the best with finances, so I can't give the best financing advice. You know, there are better people in here with that than, than me. What I, my stewardship as a pastor is to, to preach what is true. And the reason why that's how I see my work and why to me ultimately like if we're if we veer from what the scriptures say, how how Jesus is revealed to us in these books, in this book, if we if we veer from that, we have two enormous costs we pay. And if you veer from that, if you start listening more to speakers or people who are actually like contradicting what this truth says, what this scripture says, how Jesus is revealed to us by his apostles, the guys like he authoritatively said, they, they have my message. And we got that from them. If we veer from, from this, the reason why if we veer from that and, and go to what is false, there's two enormous costs we pay. First, is if, if the scriptures are not your final authority, you cannot have a relationship with God. Here's what I mean. I, I've been married to my wife, Misty, about 10 years. And I love her more today uh, than the day I met her. And that's not just some cheesy thing a pastor would say to make you go, oh, in your heart. Like, I mean that. I love her more today than ever. But, but... And just hear me out on this. Um, sometimes she can be a little irritating. Because it's okay. Like, if we're, this isn't going to get weird, just to be clear. Um, she's married to me for 10 years, which means she calls me out on my stuff 
with a precision that none of you come close to. Right? And some of y'all, you can call me on my stuff, and you see, and you're like, Tim, don't do that. That was dumb. And I'm like, you're right. But Misty, it's not like, you know, it's not like just a tap on the shoulder. It's like, an, it's like an bow and arrow from across the field that, like, is a bullseye every time. And, and listen, would I prefer a robot Misty that, like, I sort of engineer to just answer everything I say with yes, dear? Of course. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but that, that's, that's not a person. Like I can I can remake her in my image so that she likes all my you know all my junk that I need to work through. I can I can remake her in my image so that she just agrees with everything that I say and she never challenged me, she never pushed me. But that's not a relationship. And the reality is if you come to the Bible and decide I'm gonna take what I like and I'm gonna reject what I don't, you're you're creating a robot God who's just answering yes to everything that you have to say, who never forces you to change your theology, who agrees with you about everything, who never forces you to believe anything difficult, and especially who never forces you to take a long, hard look in the mirror. And lots of people do that, especially in this weird Christian celebrity culture. We have lots of people, I'm not going to believe that anymore. You can't believe that in in our day. And if you do that, you can't, you can't know God. All you're doing is you're, re, you're just remaking God into your own image. And it's not a good idea in marriage, and it's certainly not a good idea with God. God gets to define the terms of who he is to us. We don't get to redefine them. And if we do, it means he can never contradict us. And I would just ask, has God ever contradicted you? Have you ever made a major shift in thinking because of wrestling through this book? Can God contradict you? Do you believe anything that's difficult in the Bible? Because if the scriptures aren't your authority, you program God, he's a robot, and, and it's, it's, it's not just that that's a mistake, it's that real marriage with a real person is so much richer and better. It's harder, especially when she's, you know, she pulls out the bow and arrow and gets, like, it's harder, but it's better. And it, if you read the Bible with an honesty and a, transpar- and a willingness to let God go there and go to work on you, it's harder but it is better because it's a real person. So first, the reason why the truth matters, why, like, I have a lot of faults as a pastor. One fault I will not uh, work, I will always run away from, is that I let my own thinking be any of, the, of what I think we should do as a church. It must be, come from here. And if it doesn't come from here, we can't have a relationship with God because this is how God has revealed himself to us. So that's one. And then two, if the scriptures are not your, your final authority, then you have no power. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, what's your plan for when you die to get out of the grave? Right? I mean, that's, that's probably why most of us are here. It's like, we, well, hope there, hopefully there's heaven. Well, what's your plan? Because I have no idea how to do that. And, and listen, when I read the Bible, like, there are lots of things I read I don't always agree with. The Bible has a very different take on, on money, on power, on humility, on kindness, on mercy, on sexuality, on all kinds of things than I, than I have. And, and, and the reason why I listen is not because, like, I've read this book and every time I open it, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Like, oh, absolutely, no, no. The reason why I, I listen to this book is because the man about whom this book is about, Jesus, knows how to come out of the grave after being dead. And my assumption is if you know how to do that, you probably know more about money than I do. You probably know more about humility than I know. 
about power, about kindness, about whatever. And if you lose that Jesus who has the power to come out of the grave, you lose the power that is at heart of Christianity, which is not, is, is all about who Jesus is. And when you lose that Jesus for something else, you lose what is true for what is false. You lose all the power that's attached to it. And so our gift to our city as a church is not our relevance. It's not our ideas, even to some extent. It is who we know. It is Jesus who is the truth. That is what we have to give to our city. And it is why we must be generous with the truth. And Paul says it. He says, I told you everything. No matter what it would have cost me, I I told you the truth. And as a church, we need to be generous with what is true. And from the beginning, and to this day, the church has people who will rise up and say things that are completely contradictory to how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And as a church, we have no interest in that. Because we want to give what is true. So it's better to give than to receive. So we, we need to give what is true. We need to give sacrificially. And thirdly, we need to give to one another. And so Paul says something really interesting in, in verse 26. Uh, he, says this, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of of God. And, and commentators say Paul means a couple of things when he says this. One, uh, one thing he means is that uh, he's, te- he's telling uh, the, the church in Ephesus what I just said to you, which is like, I told you the truth no matter if it made you mad or you liked it or you didn't. I always told you the truth of who Jesus is. And then the second thing that, that commentators think that, G- uh, that Paul means by this is what he's saying is I'm innocent of the blood of all of the, the city of Ephesus. And, and, and I think what that's getting at is Paul saying, I planted a church in Ephesus, and because I planted that church in Ephesus, now the whole city is reached with the gospel. My work is done. I can move on. And again, this, uh, we talked about this point one. Like, this is why church planning was so central to Paul's mission, is that he wanted to see a healthy local church in each city. And he's done that, and so he can step back and say, now the gospel's in the city. I can move on from our time together. Church planning is incredibly important. But as I said in point one, we're going to go back here again. Church planning is incredibly difficult. And so I want to, I want to do two things with the rest of, of point three. And, and that is, is first, I want to thank you, especially those of you who have been with us for three years, for your incredible generosity. Starting, uh, starting this campus, starting this church has required enormous financial generosity. Enormous generosity with your spiritual gifts. Uh, enormous generosity with your time and opening your home, all of those things. So, so thank you. And when Christ community, when we're functioning well, uh, there's a capacity to do things together we can't do alone. And so this morning, Aletha is opening a, a building in their children's ministry that uh, they couldn't have afforded by themselves. But because of the whole, they, uh, they were able to open that um, this morning. And as we look ahead, long term, um, you know, like we meet in a room with paw prints on it. So that's probably a sign this isn't our long-term plan, right? Um, and so we, we have building needs. Uh, downtown campus has building needs. We tried to raise $8 million for Reach KC. We probably have more than that to go. Um, and the reality is church planning, is, it's very expensive. It's very time-consuming. It's very resource-consuming. And, and I want to say uh, first, right, thank you. And I'm blown away by your generosity. I mean, truly blown away by, especially this local campus, I'm blown away by your generosity of time, gifts, treasure. It's amazing. Um, and so I, as, we, as we say thank you first, but then secondly, I, just to push, always push us, right? We, this, we want this to be our culture. It's better to give than to receive. So are there, are there areas you can give 
um, that you aren't giving to yet? Let's, be, let's just put what we all know is on the table. Which is we need your help serving, especially in children's ministry. Right? And you'll hear from those leaders uh, next week um, um, more. But even to let you know, the re- one of the reasons why we do two services um, is not because we have to. We, we don't have to, actually. Um, but one of the reasons why we, we do that is we recognize, first of all, in our, in our mobile reality, we're only going to all be together once a week um, because it's really hard to get all together somewhere else other than here once a week. And so we wanted to do two services so that we could just get more time together on a Sunday morning. Um, and so built into our philosophy is the idea of, of being a two-service family, being a two-service person, and that you serve one service, and you have time with Christians and, and adults as you serve in children's ministry or greeting, wherever you're at, worship team. Um, and then in the second service, you come, you come to, to worship. And, and that's our hope, that everyone would sort of work towards that as, as your goal. Um, because if you want community, yeah, that's right, if you want this sort of generous community you see in Acts 20, you, you only get that through time. More time together. And so come for three hours every Sunday. Serve one, worship in one. And, and in the process of that, it's not just about what you're doing in those moments. It's the conversations you have on the side. It's the, it's the moments you weren't expecting, right? It's the kid who says something funny that, that just brought joy to your heart. It's all, the more you're here, the more chance the Spirit has a, just to get a hold of you in a way. Um, and I just, I mean, this is, this is, I'm here, obviously, for more than three hours every week, and, and last week was a good example of how this can happen. Last, I was really discouraged um, for a number of reasons last week. Um, one was that I'd had a poison ivy rash, like, on my entire body for 10 days, and if you've ever had that, like, you're just, you're just done, like, you're just completely done. And then I woke up, I had a flat tire on Sunday morning, um, so Naya had to come pick me up, like a, like a bum. So I, just, I wasn't coming in great, right? Like, I'm itching, like, I'm going to die, and my tire's flat, and, uh, and just, like, a number of you unsolicited None of you knowing what you're doing individually, um, sort of one by one after service, came and in different ways spoke deeply encouraging words to me. And I had to be here for six hours to get all that, and I needed all of that. And so one way you can help us, I mean, one way you can be generous with us towards others is just making Sunday morning a priority and coming and serving one service and worshiping another service. Or if you have other gifts, how can you, where can you give? How can you help us push the gospel forward? And obviously, and, and, and again, this is, we always start with a thank you on this, but um, we hope you'll always think about uh, your financial generosity towards, towards Christ's community. And one of the things that I love about our campus, and I wish that a couple people have referred to our church this way with this word, is, is scrappy. Right, so we're the church that uh, when the furnace breaks, it's like, well, what room does have a furnace? And the one room that does have a furnace, we just meet in there for the, the Sunday uh, morning. If you remember back to that, uh, those of you who were with us that Sunday, um, you know, we're the campus that the morning our trailers are frozen shut. It's like, well, what, can't, what do we have to do church with today? We got some chairs. We'll figure this out. Right? It's, it's scrappy is kind of the, um, the way we approach this. And every, uh, like every business startup kind of has a story about starting the their business in a garage somewhere. It's like this, you know, everyone tells that kind of origin story. And we sort of had that story. We, we didn't meet in a garage. We met in a room as cold as a garage. That's sort of, that's our origin story. Um, but, but we started this church the way you're supposed to start it, which, is, which is, is, is not about buildings or programs. or It's about people. And if that means we got to cram in this one room that has heat, we'll do that. The church planning, like what we're doing here, it is ultimately about people. And each day we take another step and we expect God to provide and he will. We expect him to, to send us people who are in need of, of the gospel and of ministry and of, of encouragement. And we're going we're gonna to be faithful with those. 
those people. And each day we just expect God to provide. And he, God will provide through this church, through people. And so please, uh, keep, keep being generous. This isn't a start being, keep being generous. Your generosity blows us away, especially your financial generosity. And so thank you, and, and, and it's helped us in, a, you know, in this, this difficult environment to start churches, to, to push forward and to keep going and to keep taking steps. And God has provided for us through you, so thank you. So give, uh, give sacrificially, give what is true, give to one another, and, and finally, lastly, I want to be a church that, that gives ourselves away. And I want us as a church to define success not by what we accumulate, but by what we give away. Success for us as a church is not what we can point to and say, look what we got. Because God didn't give that to us for us to sit and enjoy it. He, give, he, he blesses us to, 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 to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? That's the foundational assumption we have about life and ministry. And so I love this last picture you get of Paul and his disciples, where, or the, the leaders from Ephesus, where they, they're crying together, they're hugging, they're, they're, I mean, this is incredible community. And when a church community is, and every, all, every one of us comes and builds this church community on the, the, the assumption that it is, I am more blessed when I'm giving myself away than when I'm receiving. When we build a church on that assumption, this is what you get. People in tears encouraging one another, with one another, fighting with one another, all in with each other. Not a group of people who come to the church and, and, and just to, I'm going to go to a hard place for a moment, then I'm going to go back to an encouraging place. Not a church community where people come and look at, at the church leaders and say, what can you give to us? What can we receive? A church cannot be built that way. And in our, in our context... That's how, that's how a lot of, of, it's easy for us as a church to go. There's what can we give to you, make you happy, and then you come, and, and, that's, that's, and that's not who we want to be. We want to be a group of people who, who live with that assumption, I am more blessed when I'm giving myself away than when I'm receiving. And that's something that requires every one of us, every moment of our lives to live into as a church. Um, and it's a big hurdle to overcome, to, to operate within a church asking, what can I give away? And if I get, as I give away, I know I will receive, but it is more blessed when I'm giving away than when I'm receiving. I want to be that church, and I want to challenge us continually to be, be that church. A church that if anyone encounters us, that they're... It's not a stretch for them when we tell them it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. They don't have the reaction I had as a child, which is like, you don't believe that. But they see it in who we are, how we operate, how we, we live. And I hope, whether you've been here for three years or you've been here for, you know, three minutes or an hour, um, I hope you've experienced that. And we always have room to go, we, we, to grow. We have a long way to go on this, to be as generous as Jesus, obviously. Um, but I, I want to close by just saying um, this, this idea that it's better to give than to receive. I don't know if you've experienced it. I have. And I've experienced, uh, I've experienced your generosity towards the mission of God. Some of you, you've patiently waited for three years playing with, with pipe and drape. We got rid of it, though. It's gone now. Um, 
Learning how to install lights. Like, how many of you thought you were going to do that at church? Um, You've watched my kids for me. You've played hide-and-seek with them. You've welcomed us into your home. You've, you've let me grieve with you by the graveside, and you've let me dedicate your children into this body. And I have no idea why any of you let me do that. Um, but I'm really grateful. I've also I've experienced your, your sacrificial giving. Um, that Missy and I, one day, uh, sitting at the dining room table, just terrified, processing... Uh, Processing a child's terminal illness. Um, and our doorbell rings. It's someone from our community group with a basket of encouragement. And hardly say any words. We just cry together. Hug. And, and that's it. And I've experienced people telling me what is, is true. I, I don't know why. Um, there are so many incredible older leaders who are willing to, you know, to worship in this room, this place. But you have... Every time I start to doubt, I need, I need a push, I need an encouragement. Someone needs coffee, someone needs lunch, maybe a beverage. And both what is true and what is encouraging is spoken to me, and I get prayed for. And so as I preach this, this sermon, I don't preach as a pastor who, who feels like the need to compel you to be more generous. I, I preach as a pastor who hand, whose hands overflow and, with gratitude and thankfulness. And that this world needs more people to have the experience that I have had. And the only way that will happen is if every one of us, you and I, every day of our existence are living deep in our bones. We know it's true. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a card that we send. It is who we are. And if you haven't experienced that, whether here in the church, you haven't experienced a generous community. Um, I'm sorry. Sometimes we get it wrong. A lot of times we, we're sinners. We get it wrong. And yet, Jesus, our founder, never got it wrong. Every, every breath he breathed, every moment of his life, it was evident. He believed deep in his bones. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so he, can't, he gave sacrificially to ha- for this place to be possible. Jesus left heaven and came into to this earth so that you and I could know the gospel and have it. Right? Jesus, he, he knew that even though he would speak what is true to people, they wouldn't want it. And he'd be arrested for it. He'd be mocked for it. He'd be betrayed for it. He'd be crucified for it. And yet, as Paul says to these Ephesian leaders in Acts 20... By all of that, Jesus bought us, bought the church, bought this community with his own blood. So, church, we are a community that exists because of the blood of Jesus. And so we cannot operate on any other assumption than the assumption that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because we would not exist if Jesus had not gone into a cross and bled out for us. This is, not some, this is not some weird, cheesy phrase like that a pastor can come up with. It's like a good motivation campaign. And this is who we are. This is who Jesus is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It was the heartbeat of Jesus. And may it be the heartbeat of us. Let's pray. Father, as we pause and we reflect on who, whose idea the church is, Jesus... Um, God, would you draw our hearts into the truth that for each person in this room, Jesus, 
went to a cross, <laughs> died, bled out, that we could know true life, true community, resurrection life. Um, God, that is a hard thing to believe in this world where there's a lot of hard things. And yet, God, it is the most true thing about our world. And the only way we'll believe it, the only way our hearts will come around to see it and live it out and, and move, move it into our own hearts and lives that it's more blessed to give than to receive is for you to open our eyes and hearts through the Spirit to the glory and beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So God, open our hearts, open our eyes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.